God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. Well, God bless and welcome back to another episode of Family Discussion. My name is Marcus Ortega, and as always, I am joined by my dear friend, Lisa Spencer. Lisa, how are you doing today? I'm I'm fine. I'm well. I I was waiting for, it's like, let's see, what adjective is he going to use today? But you know, I will take, dear friend, I, I will yeah, take that. I, you know, I, I forgot what letter we were on. I think we're on letter R, actually. Something like that. So now I got to come up with a, I got to come up with a really good R word. Well, as long as it's not you. rambunctious. It's rambunctious? <laughs> you gave that to yourself right there. The rambunctious Lisa Spencer. Uh, yeah. All right. We'll use that. That's yours now. You own it. <laughs> That just happened. Um, we're recording after Holy Week. It's been a little while since we've seen the folks. How how was your Holy Week? How was your Easter? It was good. It was good. We, uh, my husband and I, um, are in a special uh, choral ensemble that has been formed during the you know special season. So we had it during the Advent season, and about it's about fifteen folks, and typically you know a cappella. Um, choral type music um and so we had um so again it was formed for the easter season so we sang we sing before the first and second at the start of the first and second service um you know for three sundays so we did palm sunday then easter sunday um and then we're doing um the following Sunday, because uh, the church, the the sermon series is actually going to be focused on the resurrection, which I think is pretty cool. I actually have never seen that done, where you follow up Easter with the series on the resurrection. I was going to say, you're, you're doing the resurrection again. That's kind of a whole series on a the whole series on the resurrection. There you go. I like it. That's a great idea. Yeah. So it was um, so, you know, very, very enriching, you know, with the with the singing. And then, of course, it's it's always the time to to have a special focus, you know, on our on our Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm glad you had a good Holy Week. It's uh, always a busy season for us pastors. And so um, it was it was it was good. Lent was a little strange for me this year. I didn't really I really enjoy the Lenten season this year for some reason. I just wasn't uh, I didn't feel as connected to the Lenten season as I normally do. I'm not sure what that was about. I'm sure if I spent some time meditating on it, I'd I'd come to an answer. <laughs> but, um, but you know, really enjoyed Easter Sunday. It's it is the high point of the year for me every year. I love Easter, and uh, so had a great time. Enjoyed some worship services, and then what we do in our church is um, we always offer a baptism service 
um, at the end of the day on Easter. Um, we, we have confirmation in our church, and so um, any kids who are being confirmed who have not yet been baptized, they get baptized that day, and then it's oh, open to awesome. the congregation, so people can sign up uh, to be baptized on Easter. Mm-hmm. So we got to do that, which is always a, a really cool time, and I'm on Easter, I kind of try and make it a point that I'm one of the guys there. We do, we have a, a full immersion baptistry, which is strange for a Presbyterian church, but yeah, we do. Yeah, I was about to say, and, how's that um, yeah, so I mean, we do both. We try and offer the the various options. Um, a lot of former Baptists who end up in our church who want to see the full immersion baptistry, uh, but we also have the baptismal font for the babies and uh, the little ones, and anyone who doesn't want to be immersed and would rather have pouring. And so, um, you know, it's it's not about mode, right? It's about the baptism itself and uh so we offer the different options there at, at our church but it's always fun to be in a baptistry doing a full immersion baptism there is something i grew up in the baptist church so there's something a little nostalgic about doing that but it's a great holy week um but we are now back for uh, a couple episodes over three or four weeks and then uh, a little bit of a break Come back for a few more episodes, a little bit longer of a break. So it's going to be a little bit sporadic over these next few weeks as we we talk through the way that sin has impacted our anthropology um, and, and really some of the, the ways that sin has damaged being a man and being a woman. We've had two really cool interviews over the last couple episodes. Penny was here to talk about God's design for manhood and and some of the challenges that men face. Rachel Green Miller was here to talk about womanhood and some of the challenges women face. Um, So I wonder by way of of kicking into our discussion today, which is on gender roles, um, your favorite topic ever, right, Lisa? Um, Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if we can start Maybe if you could give us just kind of a brief overview. What is what is a positive devin, definition for manhood and a positive definition for womanhood? Um, I think if we just start with those definitions, then we can get to the roles conversation. But so often we define manhood and womanhood by roles. Yes. But that's not the definition. So, right. you know, if you could just give us a quick overview so we can launch into this conversation. Right. Well, I'm going to punt back to the interview that we did with Penny and where he said, you know, you have to start with man and woman being made in the image of God. Right. So you start there. That means our value and our worth is not because of our marital status not because of our, you know, what, what we can or cannot do, not because of what role we play in the church, but because God made us and we are made in his image. And so Amen. when you, you know, you have to start there and then, you know, and then you can get into the roles, but it is, you know, being called, and especially as a Christian, as a Christian woman, we are called set apart by God. Um, by the work, by the work of the Holy Spirit, placed in His body, um, and you know, and contributing to it for for the sake for the for God's glory and the sake of His kingdom. Um, so, you know, so really, when I think of you know manhood or womanhood, it, you know, once we start defining it by based on what we can or cannot do, then we're missing the mark. You know. Absolutely. 
Well, and I, I think that so much of our modern conversation around manhood and womanhood is about what are really, I mean, not what men are allowed to do, if we're honest, right? It's what are women allowed to do? That, that seems to be a lot of the conversation. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit in this conversation um, about the disagreement um, there about, you know, but, but that's not the main focus. It's no. to have a positive view of gender is to take on some of the pictures of gender that are there in the scriptures. Right. Um, you know, if we're going to define them. So, so here's how I define them. Cause I, I've really wrestled with this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, w- one of the struggles, I'll be honest that I've had because I'm not a complementarian is defining manhood and womanhood apart from our physicality. Um, I really think that being a man or a woman is um, physically defined. And going beyond that to say, what does it mean to be masculine or feminine has been very difficult for me because I keep coming back to, well, it's physically defined. Um, and so to come up with what is a masculine thing to do or a feminine thing to do, I've, I've struggled with that. And I still... I still struggle with that. I mean, if, if a man does something, then he's doing it masculinely. If a woman is doing something, she's doing it femininely. And that has to do with the person who's doing it, not the action itself or the way the action is done or anything like that. But when it comes down to what does it mean to be a man or a woman according to the scriptures, I look at two images. I look at the body of Christ um, as, as male. That's a male picture that we have for the church, right? The church is the body of Christ. And so, um, or, or even a better one, we are sons in the sun, right? That's another passage that this is a masculine picture of what it is to be, to be male. Then I look at the feminine picture and I see the bride. And that's actually the last picture of the church in the Bible is of the bride who's awaiting the groom. And so what does it mean to be a man? It means to be a type that points us to our place as body, our place as sons in the sun. What does it mean to be a woman? It means to be a type of that thing that points us forward to the bride of Christ. Um, That being male and female are kind of, they're eschatologically oriented. That our sexness points us, puts our eyes towards Christ and his church. Um, And so it's a bit esoteric, but I think that those have become my definition. What does it mean to be a woman? It is to be a type that points us to the bride. What does it mean to be a man? It is to be a type that points us to the body of Christ. And, And by defining it this way, I'm trying to define manhood and womanhood as modes of being rather than activities that we perform. And and I'm doing that intentionally because so much of the conversation is around activities that we perform. And I just, I find that unhelpful. And and so I'm looking at how, how, is, how are we defined according to scripture? I think we're defined eschatologically. I think our, our, our very being points us towards um, towards the eschaton, towards the final things. So, so those are my definitions. I, it starts in image, but it ends there in the eschaton. I, I am like wholeheartedly stealing from Amy Bird on that. That's uh, she spends a lot of time in the sexual reformation on that, and maybe uh, if we can get her on the show, we can talk to her about that in the future. But um, 
you know, so those are my definitions of what it means to be a man and a woman. They're, they are eschatological markers. They point us forward to God's design for, for all of creation and his work in salvation, um, which are much bigger roles than a woman's allowed to do this and mm-hmm. not allowed to do that. Um, anyway, I don't know. That's, that's, that's what I've settled on for now. For now, yeah. And I, and I think there's a reason, um, you know, and I say this as a complementarian, that, you know, I find it interesting, for instance, when we had, when we, we sat down with Rachel, and we talked a lot about, again, it's the, you know, what a woman allowed, you know, uh, or the pushback, you know, you go outside of those boundaries, and I, you know, it made me wonder, it made me question, why is it that when we talk about biblical manhood, it's, you know, we, we, you know, have these clear definitions, right? And, you know, sometimes they are culturally adopted. But then when it comes to womanhood, it's, you know, we punt to the roles, and I don't, I don't know that that necessarily yeah. should be that way. Not that we should, not that we should ignore, you know, where scripture makes distinction, where scripture makes prohibitions, you know, and those are, you know, those are the things that, you know, the reasons why I am a complementarian, but at the same time, I'm not wanting to put womanhood in such a box that it is defined by restrictions. Well, and I think that's that's really helpful and really important to define to define womanhood by restriction feels inherently off to me. I mean, it it's immediately womanhood is defined as a negation. And that's not how the Bible views women in in the slightest from my read so so i wonder you know it's an interesting situation that we're in right we have here um a woman who is a complementarian and a man who is an egalitarian um trying to talk through issues of gender and it's been a bit of the elephant in the room for quite a few episodes we're going to address it head on today um by by talking through the the main difference around this idea of roles between the complementarian and the egalitarian um and and i mean there's a, it's it's a little unfair in my mind because it puts you on the hot seat a little bit yes it um, does and, thank and, you for and I apologize that. for that it does i mean it's 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 hard because it's an egalitarian like <laughs> at least the way i'm i'm approaching things right now i don't have a thing called a gender role um like men and women in an egalitarian framework um are able to do the same things um as one another from you know in every sphere and and so the idea of the roles i mean i guess i have so i'm trying to think about this as i go right i think i have a couple of roles like men are husbands and women are wives, and so men can't be wives, and women can't be husbands. Those are clear roles. Um, those are at least that their gender and sexuality define those terms, at least. Um, you know, so their son and daughter work the same way, um, but all of those are again they're tied to our physicality. They're tied to our bodies, right? That's just a that is. 
our uh, our sextness defines those terms for us. Um, so as we talk about roles and what women can and can't do, what men can and can't do, um, how do you approach that? Like how what when you're coming to the scriptures, how do you wrestle with this? Because you're a woman who teaches, you're a woman who's a theologian, you're a woman who has a voice in a complementarian denomination. So I'm sure you've wrestled with this. Um, what does that wrestling look like for you? What it looks like is identifying the script, the passages that do, okay. in my opinion, talk about headship. So starting with 1 Corinthians okay. 11, where it says that the man is uh, the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. And so you have this idea okay. of an order. Um, and so that is echoed in 1 Timothy 2, which, you know, listen, here's what we're not going to do. Because whenever... <laughs> <laughs> All right, whenever 1 Timothy 2.12 comes up, listen, we need to keep this in the bigger context of what we are doing with not just this episode, but with this season, with the series of walking through systematic theology to address the issues of our day, to look at where there are where the guardrails are to how we should think faithfully, how we should think scripturally about what's going on in our culture and what's going on the church on in the church in response and where sin has impacted these categories. Right. So that's what we're doing right. here. Um, we're not going to get into a debate about first Timothy two twelve. Um, I knew it. but it does say, right. I, you know, when Paul talks about, um, you know, women, um, you know, he starts making these dis distinctions, uh, even starting at verse eight, right? That every place man should pray, lifting holy hands without quarreling. And then he says, something different to the women, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. Um, and so I have to pay attention whenever there's instruction that's different for the men versus the women, I have to, I have to pay attention to that. But then he goes into saying, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, whether she is to remain silent. Now we have to reconcile that with other places in scripture, for instance, you know, back in first Corinthians 11, where we have the, the presence right. of women prophesying. And of right. course, in that context, they had the old Testament scriptures and the apostolic teaching. And so how does that translate into a contemporary setting? Cannot women right. have some kind of voice in a worship right. service? I believe so. Even the reading of scripture, which I know there are many in my denomination who believe that only ordained men should be allowed to read scripture. I have to, I have to question that based on the fact that women were in a public setting and they were, they were prophesying. This is not the same as, you know, as, as preaching the word. Um, and does, and, and does the, uh, word, does scripture not say to encourage one another while it is called today? And so we definitely right. have a place. It's a mutual encouragement that we all need to do in and outside of the church. Um, but 
nonetheless, the reason, going back to 1 Timothy 2, the reason that, um, you know, that Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over, over a man, is that why? For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And this, to me, is where, you know, I, I can't dismiss the concept of headship. Right now, what we've taken headship to mean, how we define that is, you know, open to debate. It's open to conversation. But I take it from here. I take it from what First Corinthians 11, even a, a passage that I um, that I, I think I cited in the last episode about or maybe it was the episode with Penny um, in First uh, Peter 3, where what husbands are instructed to treat the wife as the weaker vessel. Again, how you define that, you know, we need to define that, but still it's there. And even when I look at first, and even when I look at Ephesians 5, right, the instructions to men are different than the instructions to women. Men, love your women, uh, uh, wives, submit yourself to your husbands. Um, husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church. Now, you and I know because we have had the uh, opportunity to, uh, I was going to say bang our head through the languages. Now, I was banging my head through the languages. But, <laughs> oh, it wasn't much better for me. <laughs> um, we know that the, that the verb in, the controlling verb in that passage is actually in verse 21, which talks about mutual submission. But again, there are instructions that are given differently to the wife versus the husband. So when I take that in conjunction with the other passages that talk about headship, well, then I have to take that that serious. Okay, so what does that mean in the church? And because 1 Timothy 2 is, is, is directly related to the church, not to everywhere, it's, it's to the church. It's in a public worship setting, right? And then Ephesians 5 has to do with you know, has to do with home. So home. So so that's where I believe the idea of roles come from. Um and it starts right. with this concept of headship. Well well let me let me ask that question because you just highlighted that that um the the instructions to women in both First Corinthians eleven and um first Timothy two are in the church and that Ephesians five is the home. Um, and I agree with you. We we can't say that headship is not a concept in the scriptures. Um, you know, it's it's. I remember the the conversations around Arminianism and Calvinism when I was in high school, and and that debate that was happening all the time. And they say, well, I don't believe in predestination, or I don't I don't believe in election. And be like, well, the words are there. You you have to be able like, if the words are are literally written into the text. You have to believe that they're a thing. Now, how you define that thing can lead to the difference. But to say outright, I don't believe in election is to say outright, I don't believe in Ephesians 1, right? So right. you have to, to say, I don't believe in headship and submission is to say, I don't believe in Ephesians 5. And that is not an option for people who believe in the infallibility of scripture. Um, and so even as egalitarians, if we believe in infallibility, we have to deal with Ephesians 5. We have to deal with 1 Timothy 2. But... Because we're not going to get into a debate on how to interpret these passages, here's the question I have. 
those are two specific spheres, the church and the home. Is it fair, do you see a fair way to draw out gender roles beyond those two spheres? Or is it because, or, or are those two spheres, the are they limiting concepts where it's only within those two spheres that you see these kinds of gender roles playing out? I believe so. It really is in, you know, in those spheres. So I know that there are some, some of the brethren take that beyond the, you know, the passages, but, you know, here, and, and here's the difference, I, I believe, is that when, you know, when Paul is addressing the church in First Timothy, he, you know, he's addressing a Christian context. He's addressing how this worship served, you know, how this setting is supposed to glorify God, is supposed to mirror what God has, you know, wants for his, his bride, right? And it's the same in Ephesians 5 when he talks about the home, because what is really, what just really blows my mind about Ephesians 5 is when Paul talks about Christ loving the church, it's really hard. I mean, uh, the husband loving the wife is Christ loved the church. And then he gets into the church is really hard to find where he stops talking about the husband and starts talking about the church. So to me, it's, you know, th these are instructions for God's people and their, you know, in, in the, I hate to use the word institution, but in the institutional settings that God has prescribed. That's not applicable to the world in general. Well, and I think I think this is a key distinction then between what you're setting forth as complementarianism and what many self-avowed complementarians would put out there. Um, you know, who would say that that there is a um, a feminine way. So that it's a bit of a punchline at this point. It's been thrown out all the time. But when in recovering biblical manhood and womanhood, John John Piper says that there's a feminine way to give a man directions. Um, you know, it's, it's very different than what you're describing, which is scripture limiting um, or, or limiting certain offices within the church and setting up a particular structure in the home. That's different than what is routinely discussed as complementarianism. Um, and, and I'll be honest, as uh, from, from my position, it is much easier for me to say, okay, I see where you're coming from. I can see the argument from Scripture. We can agree to disagree um, in the home and in the church. That's easier to do with your position than it is to do with this broader understanding where it really does feel like not wives submit to your husbands, but women submit to men. It's sexist. Um, I'm just really... going to call it what it is. It's sexist. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll let you do that. It I mean, I didn't want to use that word, but it is. It's a, it is a, a sexist view of God's creation um, that really does go beyond what Scripture describes as the proper relations between brothers and sisters in the in the body, um, all kinds of commands to 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 proclaim the word to the lost and to um, you know to take on the full armor of God and all these kinds of imagery that would ordinarily be said well that's masculine imagery is given to men and women in the church together. 
<laughs> so, mean, Acts, um, uh, what is it? Acts, is it Acts 16? Um, um, Apollos, who's the couple? Priscilla and Aquila. Oh, Priscilla yeah. and, Priscilla and, and Aquila. Aquila. You know, and so co there are some commentators that believe that because she is mentioned first, that she was more of the heavy. Mm -hmm. She was more of the theological mm -hmm. heavy. <laughs> yeah, the which, heavy. <laughs> you know, is another, you know, and I think this is an, another area where we have, you know, allowed that kind of thinking in terms of, you know, taking the restrictions in scripture and applying it to women's contributions um, that says, you know, there's this line of thought that the the husband leads the wife in the sense that, you know, he teaches her. He's the one that nourishes her spiritually. Well, yes, I mean, that's true. But it's not because, you know, she's a, a theological dimwit and needs, um, you know, and right. needs her hand held. Um, right. But because as his role as a husband, his responsibility is to, you know, make sure that her that the wife is nourished. Um, that doesn't mean she has she doesn't have anything to bring to the table um, that she can't, you know, um, encourage him um and you know and get into meaty theological matters heck i know some women who you know i mean they've gone to seminary and their husbands have and, and they're just more they're just more in tune theologically and you know what do you do with that um you know Absolutely. there's this one song that comes on christian radio i swear i turn it off i switch the channel every time it comes on yeah. about, you know, lead, I think it's like called lead me or something. But the whole premise behind that is that, you know, women need their handheld. Like, well, what do you so what does that say about single women then? You know, and how they how they where they get their nourishment, you know, where they get their instruction and knowledge and, you know, and grow in the knowledge and grace of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's. You said it kind of rhetorically, but what do you do with that? You you, you utilize it. You utilize okay. the women in the church who have theological and biblical prowess. Um, this is why, you know, in the last episode I asked Rachel, well, what are we losing when women aren't discipling men? Um, the, there is a, there is a mutuality within the body of Christ that, that we, we don't have to get to the question of office we, we can just sit in, no, men and women need each other in the body. We need to disciple each other. We need to build up each other, encourage one another, bear one another's burdens. Um, this is a part of the, the one another's of the scripture. The one another's of the scriptures aren't gendered. And, and as we're talking about the way that sin has affected anthropology, right? This is, that's the, the theme of our season this year, or at least this part of the season. Sexism is one of the primary ways that the fall has impacted our approach to gender, and the church has more often than not, well, I won't say that, I'll, I'll say this, the church has far too often baptized the sexism by saying it's theologically correct, instead of pushing back against the sexism, and there is a way to push it back against the sexism without fully embracing egalitarianism if you believe that the scriptures are teaching a particular framework for ordination 
and the structure of the home. Um, sexism, I think, is one of the primary um, ways that the fall has impacted God's design for men and women. Um, I think the other way, and maybe this is a, a way that we can start to transition into the next couple of topics that we're going to be looking at together. Um, another way that this has taken, I, I mean, you take sexism to its extreme, you end up with abuse, and and we're gonna we're gonna spend some time talking about that because that is a particular evil um, that is being repeatedly unveiled um, in the Church of Jesus Christ in the United States right now. It is uh, everywhere I turn. There's a new article or a new expose of abuse that has taken place in the church, um, and the church has been complicit or has covered it up or has simply been. Um, is or its complicity through laziness and unwillingness to go to the police and go to the authorities to protect people who need protection. So there's one. There's the sexism direction. But here's here's the the ditch for my egalitarian brothers and sisters. The other way sin has impacted gender is to get to the outright denial of gender and sex as a construct, where. Um, where gender is just kind of this, um, where we see sex, sex and gender as inconsequential, as if it doesn't matter that we're sexed. Um, we are made in the image of God, male and female, he made them. There is a purpose and a design beyond procreation for maleness and femaleness. There's a reason he made us this way, because there are other creatures in the world that can reproduce asexually. If, if gender and sex didn't matter, we, he would have just made us asexual. And still, we could have promulgated the human race, and, and that would have been fine. But he didn't choose to do that. God made us male and female. And, and I think one of the dangers that egalitarians have is that we are in, in reaction in, in many ways in reaction to complementarianism we so flatten the distinction between male and female that it disappears mm -hmm. and it leaves us completely unable to handle things like transgenderism where we're just lost we there's no way to, to there's there's no tools left in the arsenal because we've basically said eh it doesn't matter at all well if that's the case, then how do we respond to the transgender movement? And um, so I think that I'm preaching to, to if there's if there are sides in this, I'm preaching to my side a little bit on this one mm -hmm. and saying we can't so flatten gender that we ignore God designed us this way. There is a purpose to creating us male and female. Yeah. And something else that's associated with that that I wrestle with, you know, on the complementarian side is how much does that sexness um, contribute to our varying personality orientations? You know, or like when we talk about what is masculine and what is feminine, feminine, right? You know, how much of that is defined according to, you know, the fact that we are made different. We are made, you know, we're made biologically different. And I think just from our our physiological makeup, our, you know, emotional 
make up, you know, their caricatures that, you know, women are more emotional. Although, listen, I have met some emotional men, let me tell you. Mm. So there are exceptions, you know. And I've also met some very, you know, like kind of, I don't want to say emotionless, but, um, you know, some some kind of some chicks that were, you know, a little on the hard side, you know, and that's not mm-hmm. to say they were or- yeah. oriented towards, you know, to, towards same sex, but they're just personality wise. Um, right. They just have some hard edges. And so I, I wrestle with, well, how much are we supposed to, you know, how much does the, these distinctions, how much are these distinctions defined by, you know, these differences, men are this way, you know, they're the ones that are, you know, like you guys were joking, you know, we're wearing the plaid shirts and, the, you know, ready to chop, chop down some trees, right? Um, whereas women are the, you know, they're, they're dainty and the homemakers, right? Because listen, you know, we talked before we started recording, we talked about Proverbs, thir- the Proverbs 31 woman, right? So you right, see her taking right. care of the home, but she's also outside hustling. I mean, girlfriend Man. is like she making, owns her own business. She owns her, she's making stuff happen, right? So this is not when I look at the Proverbs thirty one woman. This is not a caricature of a you know this dainty woman who you know this delicate flower who is you know who just like you know she's fragile and can't you know and and you know and, and can't do it do things outside of you know, what the, what the womanly task should be like baking cookies and changing diapers. I dare, I dare some of these guys out there to tell the Proverbs 31 woman to go home. How about that? You're going to start telling people to go home. Start with the Proverbs 31 woman. How about that? I did go there anyway. um, No, I think you're absolutely right. I I think that um, when we, when we are defining, and maybe this is another way sin has impacted our, our view of gender is that, we allow culture to define it instead of the scriptures. Mm. And so um, in a in a more stratified 1950s culture, you end up with particular roles for men, particular roles for women um, in a much more, um, I, I don't know how you would describe it, but in, in this age of feminism, this particular wave of feminism, you can get to... Um, almost a flipping of the stratification where, you know, I mean, you watch, it's, it's something that does drive me a little bit crazy. And you watch a sitcom um, and it's about a family nine times out of the 10, the dad, the dad's a moron. Like he's just an idiot. It's the Homer Simpson, um, uh, you know, the Homer Simpson syndrome that has hit a lot of the, you get these really strong working women and dads who are absolute morons. And it's an overcorrection. It's an overcorrection to the view of the of the home. Um, there's got to be there's no mutuality left, and that really is um, even if there are certain constructs in the church or in the home um, that are designed in a particular way. Even if the complementarian view there is true, mutuality is the overwhelming description of the relationship between men and women in the church. It just is. We are to mutually benefit one another as brothers and sisters. And if we don't start there and we allow the culture instead to define things for us, we are letting sin win. And we're not allowing the scriptures to define 
our interactions with one another and our very beings for us. We, we got to, man, the Bible gets to define who we are, not particular American constructs. Amen. And, you know, and this is where I, quite frankly, I see a lot of tension in the church in that, you know, especially when you are, when your descriptions are more culturally defined. So you have a subset that is kind of anchored in this 50s model. And you have another subset that's listening to the ear of the current culture, right? Um, I, I've seen this a lot, come up a lot in, you know, in uh, addressing singleness, you know, and how singles are, you know, the single woman uh, is supposed to treat her singleness versus a single man, whereas you're right, it's to the point where, um, you know, I've seen it, the, you know, the you don't, the you don't need a man, whereas God said, it is good for men not to be alone, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm, right. So, so I think I think there's a lot of tension there, and so when you do get women who step outside of that role, from you know, so this subset, you know, will attack and and, and to the point where it attacks the theological underpinnings, right? Their Christian status if they're not, you know, within this 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 square. That quite frankly is is part and partial, or maybe more than that, culturally defined, right? And then you have the conflict of the you know the ones that are you know in the in the you know in the fifties mode, um, or towards the fifties mode of of just you know this is um, uh, this is patriarchy. Oh, I'm sorry. Let let me rephrase. Toxic patriarchy hmm. right and sometimes it's that because you know men and women are reading the bible and saying no i think this is where there are some restrictions there's some boundaries that need to happen it's not necessarily toxic it's not toxic it's not toxic to me to say well i'm sorry you can't be ordained i'm fine with that because i don't listen if my you know if my value and worth is tied to ordination, that isn't, that's not saying so much about the image of God, right? And I have found in my Christian experience, there's so many ways that women can encourage the body, both men and women, other men and women, um, in so many ways in mutual encouragement outside of having this ordained role. And that really, to me, that really should be the priority, you know, not what can't I do, but how can I encourage I, the body? I completely agree, because, I mean, if we're talking about or the ordination question, we're talking about such a tiny percentage of people within the body of Christ. I mean, an infinitesimal percentage of people are are pastors compared to the rest of the congregation who are not pastors and are called to simply be living out the Christian life as as brothers and sisters. So the ordination question is only dealing with a, a fractional subset of the body of Christ. We have to have a, a theology of, of sex and gender that accounts for everyone in the body of Christ. And and I think that's what takes me back to Genesis and, and the creation of Adam and Eve and and the mutuality that is there right he um adam is ish and woman is isha man and woman are ish and isha the same hebrew word 
the masculine version and the feminine version. They are to be together. They are to mutually help one another. They are vicegerents together to rule uh, in, in the garden on behalf of the Lord. They're to serve together. The mutuality that's there is the controlling theme throughout the scriptures. And um, questions of ordination ought to be um, way down the road when it comes to our, our understanding of who, of who God has made us to be as men and women. We need each other. And both the ditches that we're looking at, both the patriarchal ditch and the radical feminist ditch, is a, is a rejection of mm. the biblical truth that we need one another. We need one another. And as soon as we head down either of those roads, we are denying God's design for us. Lisa, we're coming to a close here. Any last words before we say goodbye to our listeners? Yeah, just, you know, we really have to be intentional about looking at each other through the lens of, you know, of the image of God, right? Because, you know, that brother or sister, they're not a threat to you. You know, even the even mm, the ones right. are who differ in terms of their interpretation of scripture, right? Those who are defined, you know, those who have more of a patriarchal, um, take more of a patriarchal position. Um, look at that in context of their character, in context of the whole of what they believe um, because I, I find that so many times or, or, or quite often um, those who take a position like this, you know, complementary position are automatically presumed to be, to be sexist, to be, um, you know, not valuing women and that may, it, sometimes that is the case, right? I mean, when, when you're quick to shut down a woman because you think she's a threat, you gotta, you gotta ask yourself, okay, why, why am I, why am I looking at my sister that way? Right. And I would say even for the, the opposite end, you know, for those that have more of a restricted view on scripture and looking at the ones who are, you know, reading the same Bible and saying, I think there's more room here. Be gracious. You know, look at their character. Look at who, you know, how much do they love Jesus? How, what is the, what is the sum total of their theology? Don't anchor their Christianity based on this one particular topic. Amen. Amen. Complementarians are not automatically sexist. Egalitarians are not automatically liberals. I think that's just a great way to please be gracious with one another out there. I know grace is a lost art in the social media world, but maybe a handful of us can try and create a safe space for one another to talk about these issues with grace and love. Truth and love, right? That's what Paul taught us. So Lisa, Amen. thank you for today's conversation. I know it's not the most enjoyable one, but I, I think it was good. It was I enjoyed good. this conversation conversation yeah. and i hope that people benefited from it uh we'll be back in a couple of weeks we'll be talking about some difficult subjects over the next few weeks but that's okay we're going to do it together as family thank you for being here together for this episode of family discussion 
Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's family discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next family discussion.